Welcome to The Overflow, the official podcast of The Block. The Block is a thriving young adult ministry of Celebration Church in New Orleans, full of exciting initiatives, faith-filled speakers, a lively community, and most importantly, God's presence. Our aim is that every person seeking fulfillment tunes in and walks away overflowing with knowledge, encouragement, love, and gratitude for the Word of God. We hope that you are both encouraged and challenged by today's conversation. Amen. Hey, listen. I want you to know something, okay? I want you to own something before we get going. That God is really doing something on the earth. Like, seriously. He's not just in heaven chilling. Like, the Lord desires to do something on the earth, and you're involved. Your name is written in the plan, okay? And, and I just want us, before we begin, I'm, I'm just going to lead us into a word of prayer. Um, but, but tonight, uh, as Pastor Ali said, tonight's about Team Sunday. Tonight is Team Sunday, um, and it's all about plugging in. It's all about getting involved. And today, my only goal is to remind you that you have a place in the kingdom to serve in the kingdom of God, right? Because it's, it's, there's, there's a real sense in which we can, uh, we can be in the ministry but not be doing things to help the kingdom move forward. Uh, and, and tonight, that's really what I want to talk about. I, I want to talk about because I don't want anybody in our ministry to miss the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing on the earth and in our city. So w- with that just being said, I just want to pray for us for a second. Lord, we are thankful that, that we serve an act of God, that, that you're not sitting in heaven, uh, sitting on your hands, God, but you're active and you're moving, Father, and you're doing something on the earth. Father, I pray that tonight we get to own that you have a plan and a purpose of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you that you have nominated us to further your kingdom, to be a part of it, Lord, so that you will be honored and glorified on the earth, God, and your name, your name, God, not our name, but your name, Father, will be made famous. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, listen, do y'all remember what happened here in 2005? Show of hands. Okay, not everybody. Okay. So if, you, if you're unaware, I know some, like most of us was, like relative, was, was young when it happened. But in 2005, Katrina wiped out the Gulf Coast. And it was a catastrophic hurricane. I'm sure most of us, as, by show of hands, um, are familiar with what happened. But we're going to be in Nehemiah tonight. Nehemiah. Uh, I'm going to do like a quick overview of Nehemiah tonight. But before we dive in... I just want us to, to look back on, on just that, that time when Katrina came. So I have some pictures on the screen for you. Um, this, is a, this is a picture of what, what, hap- what would it look like after the hurricane. You'll see, and this is probably a lot, it, it was probably a lot worse than this, what you're seeing on the screen. But this is just an overview of what the city looked like after Hurricane Katrina had come through. Like, you can see the water levels are obviously still high. People, people, there's something on fire in the background. You can see the city in the background, and people's houses are just clearly underwater. You can go to the next uh, picture. This next picture uh, is the Superdome. It's Superdome. And what the scariest thing about that is that uh, if you, if you aren't, aren't aware that when the hurricane was coming and people were still living in the city, they were evacuating people in the Superdome. And the Superdome was probably one of the safest places you could have been at the time, but you can see Hurricane Katrina was so bad that it was even wreaking havoc even on the Superdome. Uh, so i just show you a picture there. There's another picture I have here um, of a, a, an entire neighborhood just being destroyed from the hurricane. And you can see this woman, she's walking down and just looking at how bad it is. Um, and the, this, this next picture I have uh, is a picture of just a man seating. And I'm, ima- I'm imagining what's behind him was his house, and his house is just completely destroyed. And I don't know if he's tired from, from working or what, or he, maybe he's just distraught. But it was a heavy thing. It was real. And I know as, I, as I'm showing you these pictures, for some of you it's just pictures, but I know many of you, you lived through this, right? You evacuated, you came back, and many of your homes looked just like this. There's another picture. This is a black and white picture of another home that was destroyed during Katrina. And you can see that the, the water levels still hasn't completely receded, and the... The house, I mean, is just leaning sideways. The destruction is real. Uh, here's my last picture I want to show you. Uh, this is just, this, is, this one really just was heartbreaking for me. Um, you can see this man, he walking, he's, he's salvaging on the only thing he has left. He's just taking it and walking with it, right? 
Um, it, it's a pretty sad thing. Uh, and, I, and like I said, I know many of you, you've lived through this experience. Um, and it's even heartbreaking for you to even reflect on it. Um, but as, as we jump into Nehemiah, I thought it was important to, to, to just show you a glimpse uh, uh, just a glimpse, because again, if you were here, you know it was worse than that, and those pictures don't really do it justice, right? But I wanted to show you in real time what it looks like when a city is totally destroyed. When a city has been destroyed and there's nothing you can do about it, all you can do is just witness what just happened. Because in the book of Nehemiah, we jump in the, in the scriptures and we are in a time where Jerusalem much like our city after Katrina, has been totally obliterated and destroyed, okay? And, and there are some things that Nehemiah does in, this, in his book, in his writing, that I think that we as believers need to pull from and apply to our lives and apply to our own city as well. So let's just jump in. This is Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. It says this. They said to me, me being Nehemiah, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. When I heard these words, I sat down and I just wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. I said, Lord, the God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. He said, Lord, I confess the sins that we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly towards you, O God, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances that you gave to your servant, Moses. See, when we look at the, the, the physical destruction of our city, um, it, it's an indication to you what, what Nehemiah heard about for Jerusalem that it was also completely destroyed, right? So much so that they had to go back and say, Nehemiah, like, it's rough out there. The people have been, some of the people have been returning back to Jerusalem because we've been allowed to go back, but I just want to tell you, there's, it's not a livable place right now. There's nothing we can do there. And upon hearing this, Nehemiah does one thing, two things. The first thing he does is he mourns and he weeps, he fasts and he prays. Because he recognizes that these people, his people, have now have a city that is no longer livable. I'll get to that in a second, but here's what I want you to see first. When, when Nehemiah began to pray for the city, he, he said, Lord... You know how when you're praying, you, be, you just be praying, praying. You be saying, you calling God all kind of names. He'd be like, God, you are inspiring God. You sit on heaven's throne, yada, yada, yada. He was just going deep in the Lord. He said, Lord, we have sinned. The, the reason why our city is in the destruction, the physical destruction that it's in, is because we messed up. We didn't keep your commandments. We didn't keep your word. We didn't follow after you, and as a result, an enemy nation came in and totally obliterated the city that you've given to us. And what you need to know about Jerusalem is that Jerusalem was the place where the temple was, and this is the place where, God, where, where the, the presence and the spirit of God would come down and dwell amongst his people. And Nehemiah is hearing, wait, wait, you mean that city that, that the Lord would make his, his, his presence known is no longer livable? It, it struck him. It rocked him. But here's why when Nehemiah began to pray, he's beginning to talk about the sins of the people. Because Nehemiah understood that the physical conditions of Jerusalem was representative of the spiritual condition of Jerusalem. He's, the physical condition of Jerusalem was representative of the spiritual conditions of Jerusalem. So in other words, what Nehemiah is seeing or hearing about in the physical, he said, oh, wait. The same is true for the spiritual of the people of Israel. That if you can look at the destruction of the city and say, man, that's terrible and it's worth mourning and being sad about it. If we just consider the, the, the spiritual condition, they're in the same shape, if not even worse. And the reason why I need us to see this is because this is the type of city that we live in. That, that now, now today, 
we've rebuilt since Katrina, so the physical destruction is no longer present. But how many of you know that the spiritual condition still needs some work? That our city, the the spiritual condition of our city is in a state of brokenness, and that hasn't changed. It's been over 10-plus years since Katrina, yet still we can look back on those pictures and say, oh, okay, we've rebuilt physically, but we haven't rebuilt spiritually. That's a problem. That's a huge problem problem and I think we need to handle it the same way we see Nehemiah handle it I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 it says this during the month of uh, Nisan in the tw- in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was set before the king I took the wine and gave it to the king I had never been sad in his presence so the king said to me why do you look sad when you aren't even sick this is nothing but sadness of heart he concluded and Nehemiah said, I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, look, may the king live forever. But why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Nehemiah is on side of the king and the king recognizes that man, Nehemiah, you haven't, you've been having a bad few days. He said, what's up with you? You're not even sick. What's wrong? What's going on? He said, how can I be happy? How can I smile? How can I walk around like nothing's happening? And the, and the, and the condition of the, the city where my ancestors lived and where the presence of God used to dwell is no longer in tip-top shape. It is in bad and horrible condition. I'm trying to get you to see that, that Nehemiah had a burden for the city and the people. Nehemiah had a burden for his city and its people. Now, here's my question I want to ask tonight. Do we have that same burden for our city? I'm only asking you this because this is what God asked me last week, actually throughout this week. He asked me, did I have a burden for the people and for the city of God, for for this city, the way I should? Understanding and being aware of its broken spiritual condition. And I just prayed and I asked the Lord, like, Lord, I pray that you would give me a greater burden for the city that you've placed me excuse me, for the city that you've placed me in. And then I began to pray as the week went on. I say, Lord, this is the kind of burden that our ministry needs, that we need to look around and say, man, we live in a spiritually broken um, city, and as Christians, we're the ones who are supposed to do something about it. I need you, I need you, that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to get you to own, trying to get you to see. Number one, I need you to see that our city is broken. Number two, I need you to see that we need to take ownership about it. That, that we need to take some responsibility. In fact, we were sitting in a staff meeting this week. This is when the, first, the idea first came to me. We're sitting in our staff meeting on Monday morning, and uh, one of our campus pastors said, you know, like we always talk about the, the destruction and, and all the, the crime and all the things that's happening in our city, but when, at some point, when are we as a church going to look at each other and say, what am I doing to fix the situation? When am I going to take ownership? of what's happening in the city. Because the countrywide, nationwide, people look at our city, they don't think about Jesus. They don't think about a, a place where you can go and be spirit-filled. They only do that for Osbury because there's revival happening there, right? At a seminary, right? But what about our city? At what point do we as Christians sit back and say, man, our city is bad, but I need to do something about it, right? You, but, but you only do that when you have a heart and you care for the people around you, when you care for the city. And, and what I want us to do tonight is just to be aware that maybe we don't have a burden for the city the way we need to. Maybe we do need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I, need, I, need you, I want you to burden me for the city that you called me to. Because if I'm here, then you called me here. And if you call me here as a kingdom citizen, then I need to do something about it. Lord, what can I do? Lord, if you're looking for somebody to send, Lord, can, can the Lord say, I need to send somebody, and can he send you? Because, you're, because you, in recognizing what needs to happen, are willing to jump on board and make it happen. Because at the end of the day, that's what Nehemiah, y'all know, Pastor Ali mentioned this earlier. We did a homeless outreach this, uh, yesterday, like yesterday, Saturday morning, and we actually do it the first Sunday of every month. But do you know why we do homeless outreach? If I'm just being honest with you, you know why we do it? I don't even know if Nico's here, but because Nico has a burden for, for homeless people. That's why we do it. 
We do it because Nico said, we need to do something about the homeless people. We can't fix everything, but we can do our part. And because Nico said, you know what, we need to do our part. I'll lead the charge in doing it. We do homeless outreach. Nico found his burden and he acted upon it. What's your burden? What, ha- what does God, what, does you, what do you hear? What do you think about? And it, just, it literally just rips you apart. It breaks your heart to know that, that so, such things are happening around you. You need to have a burden like Nehemiah had a burden. And, and here's what's so special about Nehemiah, because he didn't detach himself from the situation. And I think we need to learn from Nehemiah, because here's, here's what you need to see. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king in a different country. So even though he was a Jew, he didn't, have to, he didn't have to leave the king's side to go handle business over in Jerusalem. He could have heard about it and be like, man, that's sad. I'm so, I'm so sad that it, ha- that, that it happened, that, has, that, that has been the result of our people in our city and just kept going about his business. That's what he could. Because let me let you know that to be the right hand of the king, that's a special job. You, you at the right, because here's the thing about being a cupbearer. If you're the cupbearer of the king, um, then, then you're his, his last line of defense, right? Because if somebody tried to poison the king, well, they, could, they would have to poison Nehemiah before they actually poisoned the king because Nehemiah would drink of the cup before the king drank of the cup just to make sure it was safe, right? And if you have somebody that close to you that's keeping him safe, you don't think he got some real, ben- some real job benefits? You don't think he living good? You don't think he's getting paid well to protect the king? You don't think the king is making sure that everything he needs is well taken care of? Nehemiah has a great setup. Yet something about when he heard about the state of Jerusalem that it crushed him. Here's the thing about a burden. When you get burdened, the comfortable life you've been living, you can no longer live comfortably there no more. Not no more, not anymore. Because that's what a burden does. A burden will, will, will bother you until you do something about it. A, bar, a, a burden will make sure you will no longer live the same life. You no longer live comfortable and with joy until you do something about it. And Nehemiah is feeling the crushing weight of knowing that his people and his city are in a desolate situation. But here's what he does. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. It says this. It says, then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried. Why? So that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. Here's the thing. You need to know that a burden doesn't leave you until you do something about it. A burden is going to push you to action. Now, I don't, let me just be, let me be, be clear. A burden is not a burden because you feel sad. Because you saw the news and you saw somebody died and, and you just, dang, that's sad. Crazy. And then you go back to scrolling TikTok. That's not a burden. A burden, I'm trying to get you to see that a burden rips you up from the inside out. And Nehemiah being ripped from the inside out, he, he concludes, I'm going to do something about it. Nehemiah's burden led him to action. Nehemiah's burden led him to action. I need you to see that because some of you right now, you're burdened about something, but you're sitting on it. That the Lord has been working something in your heart, but you're scared to do it. It requires a whole lot of faith. I understand that. But just consider Nehemiah. He was going by himself, not knowing how much help he'll have, if he'll have any help at all. And he made it up in his mind that he was going to go and rebuild Jerusalem. But he didn't, he didn't ask anybody want to come with me, anybody willing to do it with me. No, he said, I'm burdened for something. The Lord must have given me this burden, and he's making provision for me. I'm going to rebuild it. If you with me, you with me. If you're not, you're not. But God has a call on my life, and I'm going to see to it. I need us to know as a community of young adult believers that God has given us a call in this city to reach the lost people. And if you're not, no matter what you're burdened about, at the end of the day, your burden has been purposed to reach lost people. And we need to do something about the burden. We need to do something. Like, there's no more time for us sitting on our hands and coming to service on Sunday night because it's a great time and we get to get the Lord when there's lost people on our campuses. When there are lost people on our job. Matter of fact, I was talking to my brother. This is crazy. I was talking to my brother when I went to see him a couple weeks ago. 
And he told me that he went to get a haircut at the barbershop, and his barber didn't show up. Pet peeve. I would have been mad, right? The, it, brothers, y'all know, if the barber don't show up, that's a big problem, right? So, so he's sitting at the barbershop, he's waiting, and then the barber just no-shows, right? A few days later, and mind you, he's been a consistent barber in the past, but a few days later, he gets word that the reason why his barber didn't show up is because his barber's in jail. Dang. <laughs> Right, for real. And his barber is in jail for murder of his own family. I know that's a lot. I know you weren't ready for that. I know you weren't ready. You thought that was going to have a happy ending. I understand. But I'm just trying to get you to see how important it is for us to never clock out as Christians. Because my brother got to sit and get a haircut for like 30 minutes every time he get a haircut, if not more. But how many times, we, me and him were talking about how many times did he share the gospel with him? How many times did he show love and direction for, for, for this man's life because he knew the Lord? He missed it. Now, it's not my brother's fault, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, it's his fault. But I'm saying my brother's heart was broken because he felt like he didn't do anything about the, the turmoil that was happening on the inside of this man. The war that was happening. And he knows Jesus. That he could have possibly set that man free. See, that's the burden that we have as Christians, right? But we only, we only initiate the burden when, it's, when, it, when it comes with regret. When it comes with, man, I wish I would have. Man, oh, what, what, oh, what could have happened? Oh, what would have been done if I would have just been who God called me to be and done what he's called me to do? I don't want to be a ministry that has regret. I want to be a ministry that, that, that recognizes the spiritual brokenness in our city and we attack it. And we say, I've got gifts, I've got talents, I've got skills, and I want to be a part of what God is doing on the earth. You know what God is doing on the earth? He's seeking to save those who are lost, and he's going to use you to do it. All you've got to do is be willing to do it. You've got to say yes to Jesus. Say, Jesus, Lord, I don't have a burden, but I need you to give me a burden for some lost people. I need you to give me a burden for the people on my job, because right now they just get on my nerves and I want nothing to do with them. But, Lord, if you give me a burden for them, I care more. Lord, if you give me a burden for them, I will love them more. I need you to break my heart, Lord, for the things that break your heart. That's what I really need. And if, you're being honest, if I'm being honest with myself, with you all, I need that. I need the Lord to break my heart for lost people more than he has. So that I can be, tenash, to, uh, I can be um, as intense in pursuing the goal that God has set on my life the same way Nehemiah has. I'm trying to get you to see that there's endless possibilities of what we can do. There's nothing we can't do. Right. Back in the past, before COVID, many of you don't know this. I have a picture of it on the screen. Um, But we used to actually have services at Tulane and we called them the gathering. Like like the, the, the influence that the ministry was having, the block was having was so great that we were allowed to do a service on Tulane's campus. Why can't we do that today? Why can't we have a group? But, you know, you know why? We started a, a, a group on Tulane's campus. It wasn't just about influence. It's because somebody in the ministry had a burden for the people at Tulane. They had a burden for the lost people that was on their campus. And yes, we had the block, and yes, they invited them to the block, but instead of asking them to come to church and them not coming, they decided, you know what, we're going to go to them. We're going to have a church where they at. So they ain't got to worry about driving. They don't got to worry about getting here. We're going to go to them. All they got to do is walk over. All of that happened because somebody had a burden. Somebody had a burden and acted on it, and we started doing it. Why we can't do that today? Why can't we have services and life groups on every campus in the city right now? Because that's the, that's the, that's, that's the people that we've been called to reach more than anything, the college and young adults, the 18 to 30. That's what we're about, right? Those are the people that we're working with, that we're going to school with. And all we need to do for some of us is just ask the Lord to give us a greater burden so that we can take action the way we see Nehemiah does. And so let's continue in the story. Let's see what, what else Nehemiah does that we can learn from. This is chapter 2, verses 11 through 30. It says, after I arrived in Jerusalem, he made his way to Jerusalem, and I had been there for three days. I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anybody what God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the doom gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Here's your next point. Nehemiah examined the destruction. He went to Jerusalem. And before he started to make moves, he just took inventory 
of what was going on and what was happening. And I thought since we're not in living in Jerusalem, but we're living in New Orleans, and this is the place that God's called us to, and this is the place that we all agree needs to be built up spiritually, I just want to show you the results of the brokenness that's happening in our, in our city. I, have this, uh, I found this online. Uh, this is up-to-date statistics, okay? Aggravated assault, 199. At this time, this time last year, it was 206. So we're doing better, but that's still not good. All of you can agree with that. Auto theft, 1,492 year to date. This is the beginning of March. January, February, this is the beginning of March. So in a span of two months, there has been almost 1,500 auto thefts in our city. I hope your heart's breaking. Here we go. Uh, let's, just, let's just move down. Burglary, 345. That's an uptick of 26.4% from last year. Sexual uh, rape and sexual assault, 219 in two months. Two months. Two months. 79.5% uptick. Homicide incident with a firearm, 40, 14.3% uptick from this time last year. And all the statistics are there. I'm not going to read through all of them. But I just want you to see that spiritual desolation, spiritual brokenness has real life results. That when the, the city is suffering spiritually and they are lost without direction, without call, these are the things that happen. But what if we, as the kingdom of God, decided we were going to be burdened and we were going to build the kingdom of God in this city and less of that would happen and more good things would happen? That more blessings would happen in our city and not deaths. More life would be given than deaths. More giving and generosity would happen than things being taken away. And I know that feels big. I know that may feel like it's out of your control. But it also felt, it might have felt a little out of control for, for Nehemiah because he was just one person. And, and God has given you the burden not to reach everybody in their mama, but just to, meet, just, to, just to change one or two lives. Just to make the difference in one or two lives. Because if you make the difference in one or two lives, then two turns into four, four turns into six, and then six turns into 12. You don't know what God can do from just changing one, life, one person's life. But you know why it started for Nehemiah? You know why the, the walls began to be built? Not because everybody had a burden and acted on it, because one person had a burden and acted on it. Because one person decided, that I'm not going to sit on my hands. I'm going to do what God has called me to do, and I'm going to see to it that it happens. And I hope that we see the trouble that's happened in our city and we are spurred on. This is Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 15 through 18. It says this, um, I, went to, I went up by, at night, by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then he heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. So I said to them, see the trouble that we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of God had been on me and what the king had said to me. They said, quote, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this work. I, that's so good to me because Nehemiah said, you know what? I'm just going to share the vision with you. We here. I'm only here because we, I want to rebuild the city. And their immediate response was, OK, let's do it. Let's just do it. They didn't think about it. They didn't debate about it. They didn't, like, they didn't wander back and forth about it. It was like, oh, you want to rebuild the city? Let's do it. Let's get it. Right? Because one person shared their burden, and they, they welcomed people to do, what they were, to do what they have been called to do. They started rebuilding. And what I think that the Lord is calling us to do is rebuild his kingdom right in the heart of this city. That, yes, there's a lot of other things going on around us, but more than anything, what we've been called to do is, is, is build and strengthen the kingdom of God. And you see what happened? It was as they began to work that God began to strengthen their hands. And, and that's, that's, that's important for us to see because some of us don't move because we don't think we have what it takes to fulfill the calling that God has put on our life. We don't think, we have our, we don't think that our gifts are good enough to act on the burden. But if you just go, if you just say yes, as you're going, he will strengthen your hands 
to do the work. That the work can be done, but it's not because of you. The work can be done because of him. Because we are co-laborers with Jesus. And no matter how hard we work, he works far harder than we ever could. Even if we do it together. But it all starts with somebody saying yes to the burden. And, it's, and, and it continues when we decide for ourselves that we're going to do what God has called us to do. And, be, and we're going to trust him that he's going to strengthen our hands in the process. That as we're going, he will give us everything we need to do to make it happen. That may not be good enough for you. Let me just keep reading. Nehemiah 3, 1 through 2. The high priest, Eliashib, and the fellow priests began to rebuild the sheep's gate. They dedicated it and installed its doors after building the wall to the tower of the hundred and the tower of the Hananel. They dedicated it. The men of Jerusalem built next to Eliashab and next to them, Zakor, son of Emery, built. I need you to see that Nehemiah's work required willing servants and supernatural strength. Nehemiah's work required willing servants and supernatural strength. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I got a picture just so to make sure you understand what a sheep gate looks like, because I want you to know that it's not just like this any old um, white picket fence that sheep is too high that sheep can't jump over. This is, this is, a real, this is what the sheep gate looked like. You notice, again, it's not a plastic fence or a wooden fence. This is real bricks, okay? You need some people who understand construction work and who are willing to do the hard work to do some stuff like this. But you know who Nehemiah called on to do this? A priest. Modern-day pastors. And I just want y'all to know, if you need something built, don't call me. I am not the best one to call you, okay? I can't help you as good as somebody else can. But you know who Nehemiah decided to, to, to fulfill the call with? People who were just willing. Nehemiah said, if you're willing to do the work, I'm willing to go with you. Let's do it together. Right? And, and this, the thing you need to recognize about Nehemiah giving the, the sheep gate to the priest is that the priest, um, that the sheep that were dedicated to the temple would go through the sheep gate. And so Nehemiah knew that if he gave the, the sheep gate to the priest, that they wouldn't just do it, but they would do it right. Why? Because they were passionate about it. That, that this particular thing, it meant something to them. So he could ask them to do any part of the wall, but he gave them the responsibility of the wall that they were most passionate about. That they, had the, that they were passionate about and they were willing not just to do, but do right. Here's the thing. All of us have passions, and God has given us passions for a particular, specific reason. You passionate about something? All your passions and your gifts, they all work together. The question you must ask yourself is, how can I take my gifts and my, passage, my, my uh, passions and leverage them for the kingdom? How can I take what God has given me and the burden that he's, put, that he's weighed on me and use it to uplift God's kingdom? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. And when we do, guess what's going to happen? The kingdom of God will slowly but surely be rebuilt in our city. I'm trying to get you to see, it don't start with the person on side of you. It starts within you. It starts with you. It don't start with me as the pastor all the time. Sometimes it starts with you. All I can do is call you to what the Lord is calling us to. But at the end of the day, if you don't wake up on Monday morning and say, you know what, God, you called me to something, and I'm going to see to it that it happens so that your kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven, then your kingdom will never come, and our city will continue to be what our city is. And we'll continue to trend downward. But if you do it, you might convince somebody else to, to, to carry out on their burden. And they might convince somebody else. And before you know it, we've got a community of believers who leave out of this room and we go win the city. Do you believe that we could actually win our city? That we could actually win our college campuses? Oh, you better believe it. Because here's the thing. Whether you get on board or not, God's going to do it. And the question remains is, are you going to be a part of it? Are you going to participate? Are you going to be a part of what God desires to do on the earth? What is your sheep gate? What is the thing that you're passionate about? What are the things that God has gifted you for that you can use to leverage the kingdom? So that the kingdom of God will be great on the earth. You know, there's two people. Where are they at? I don't know if I see them. Is Mr. Allen in here? Mr. Allen, where are you at? You stand up if you're here. He's, he's, in, he's in the side. 
many of you don't know Mr. Allen. You see him aside. Mr. Allen is the most willing worker I ever met in my life. He don't complain. He don't ask for attention. He don't even know I'm doing this. I ain't want to tell him because he would have he made sure he was gone. He would have left the parking lot, right? But I want to honor Mr. Allen from the stage because you don't ever hear him asking for nothing. You don't see him asking for questions. He don't ask for money. He just come and he serve. He, on, he in the background, you never see him, but every time you come in, you get a drink of water, you get some coffee, that's Mr. Allen. Every time you come and you see that the trash cans are empty and you can put your trash in, that's Mr. Allen. It's not the most, the most attractive way to serve, but Mr. Allen has the attitude, look, whatever the kingdom of God needs, I'll do it. I'll just do it, right? Yes, Mr. Allen has gifts. Yes, he has talent. Yes, he has passions, but he doesn't only do those things. He do whatever the kingdom needs him to do. And if we get some believers who are just willing to do whatever the Lord has called them to do, whatever the kingdom just needs, what, what, what can, how much could we do in this city? Not just in this room, in this city. If we just say, Lord, whatever you need, I got you. Say less. It might be a little out of my comfort zone today. It may not be in alignment with my gifts and my, my passion today, but I'll just do it for you anyway. Because I believe that you can and you will and you desire to move through my life. And if we just get a room full of Mr. Allens, man, I'm telling you, there's nothing that God can't do in our midst, and he desires to do it. We just need to have the right attitude. A couple more things, and I'm out your way. Nehemiah 4, 12 through 14, this is not on the screen. You got to listen to this one. But you need this one, so pay attention. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with the swords, the spirits, and the bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives, and your homes. Isn't it funny? Soon as you try to do better for yourself, Soon as you start to obey, soon as you start, you know, I'm going to start heading in the right direction. Here come the enemy. And, and Nehemiah and the people who have, who have decided to rebuild the city, they feeling it. They said, look, no matter, how, no matter where we turn, they attack us on every side. And, they, and, and look, here's the places that they, they're attacking us the most. They attack us most in those most vulnerable places. Can we get personal for a second? What are your vulnerable places that the, the enemy is coming to attack? Because here's the thing. When you start to do something for the Lord, the enemy not just going to sit back and just watch. When you start to make up in your mind that you're going to be a willing servant and God can use you any way, any, any, any way he decides to, you don't think the enemy going to try to step in and deter you? He's going to try to step in and discourage you and speak evil on you? You don't think he's going to attack you from every side? Has he not already tried to attack you on every side? And no matter how many goals you set for yourself, no matter how many times you try to get it, you, you can do the right thing, but you don't know how to fight. You, you know how to set goals. You know what you want out of life. You have a plan on how you're going to get there. You orchestrated everybody to work. But as soon as opposition come, you throw off track. And you want to get there. You want to do what the Lord has called you to do. You want to be who he's called you to be. But as soon as the weapons begin to form against you, you fold. You fold like a lawn chair. That wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> but I'm trying to get you to see at the end of the passage, it said you shouldn't be afraid. And you need to remember the great awe-inspiring God who fights your battles for you. And you need to go fight for your countrymen. You need to go fight for the people that surround you. Listen, if we're going to go out and establish the kingdom of God, don't you know that the kingdoms that are around us are the kingdoms of the enemy? One of the things that Pastor Stephen has always told us, he said, we don't have the biggest young adult ministry in the city. The enemy does. And he surrounds us. And anytime we make a move, we are embarking on his kingdom. Anytime we spread the territory of the kingdom of God, we, we, we um, decrease his kingdom. You don't think he's going to fight for his kingdom? You don't think the, the, the kingdom of darkness has some fight back? That's why you face an opposition. But here's why you need to remember the Lord. Because the Bible says that no weapon, no weapon that forms against you can prosper because of Jesus. No weapon formed against you can prosper. But you got to be willing to fight. Here's what Nehemiah and them did. This, this is good. This is on your sheet. 
Nehemiah 4, 15 through 18. When our enemies heard that, we knew their schemes and that God had frustrated it. Every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. And from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the walls. The laborers were carry, the laborers who carried the loads, watch this, they worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other hand. Each of the builders had a sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the one who surrounded the ram's horn was beside me. Watch this. They had a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other hand. A sword in one hand and the hammer in the other hand. Because they knew they were building something for the kingdom of God. But if they didn't fight for the kingdom of God, they'd never see it happen. And if we're going to be a community or an army of people who's going to go out to the city and build the kingdom of God, we don't just need people who are willing to serve. We need people who who are willing to go to war, who are willing to fight the good fight. Nehemiah was willing to fight because he didn't just go rebuild the wall. He fasted and he prayed. And then when it got real, he strapped up and said, let's go, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to get you to see that if we don't, if we don't, if we don't know how to war in the spirit, we'll never, we'll never win. Because we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers and principalities of darkness. And if we don't understand our enemy and we don't understand how to fight against our enemy, we'll have good intentions, but we'll never see our good intentions realized. We need an army of people with a Bible in one hand and a sword in the other hand. A Bible in one hand. The whole armor of God on and willing to go do what it takes to, to see the kingdom come on earth. It starts with you, though. So I'm going to ask you again, what you're burdened about? Because what you're burdened about is what the Lord is calling you to do. And if you do it, you're going to look around and there may be people here who's willing to do it with you. Because you, here's what you're going to find out. You might not be the only person with the burden. That you're just the first person with the burden who is willing to stand up. And because you stood up, an army had confidence to stand up with you. Because you can't stand by yourself. But that's why we need each other. And if we can be down with each other, and we can be down for the kingdom, we can see what God has desired to build here in our city, in our ministry, realized. And that's what what Nehemiah did. This is my last verse. It says this, Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16. The wall was completed in 52 days. On the 25th day of the month of Elo, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and they lost confidence. For they realized that this task had only been accomplished by God. I'm going to read that again. This task had only been accomplished by God. In other words, God had a task he used Nehemiah, and then he started to use the other Jewish people, and God see to, saw to it that it was done. Yeah. And I just want you to know, when God make a plan, it's already done. Yeah. When God makes a plan, it's already done. What, what's left to be decided is who's going to play a part in it. And I just want to ask you this question, are you going to be a part of it? Yeah. This is why we do Team Weekend. We do Team Weekend because as a team, we have a mission. And our mission is to reach lost people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we can do that. We do that in service. We do that in numerous ways, right? But how are we going to do it through your life? How are we going to do it? How does God want to do it in your life? And guess what happens? When you do it, you leave a legacy you never thought. I want to show you this picture on the screen. You don't know what this is, but I'm going to tell you. This is, you see it at the bottom, this, this, like this path-looking thing in the bottom? That's Israel today. And believe it or not, that is the wall that Nehemiah built. Centuries later, one man's yes is still up. One one man decided to act on the burden he had that he could have just neglected. And there's still a wall up. Years later, when you're dead and gone, your wall going to be up? I know that sounds preachy, but you really need to ask yourself, is, is, is what God doing in your life, is it still going to be up? Is it going to outlive you? This ministry, I want this ministry to outlive me. I want this thing to be going on when I'm, when I'm gone. 
or when I'm too old to lead, I got to get somebody else to lead. Matter of fact, don't you, how many of you don't even know who Pastor Stephen is, and that is crazy to me. But Pastor Stephen was the, the pastor before me. And you're only here because Pastor Stephen and a group of other volunteers decided that they was going to keep this thing up because this thing was blessing people. And they wasn't just going to watch it happen. They were going to participate in it. They were going to get their hands in the dirt, and they was going to make this thing happen. And I just came to find out tonight who's willing to get their hands in the dirt and see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. That's it. I said all of that to, say, to, to find out that one thing. Who in the room is willing to get their hands in the dirt and do the dirty work? So that the ministry that God has started here will outlive us. When you graduate and you go back home or you go get you a good job somewhere else, can, will the ministry outlive you? Will the things that you started, will the things that you started here outlive you because you said yes to Jesus? Because you acted on the burden that God had called you to? I'm going to ask the band to come up as I just wrap this up. Because at the end of the day, that's what, it, that's what it comes with. Your last point is this. It says, Nehemiah finished the work and was relieved of the burden. Nehemiah finished the work and was relieved of the burden. You know why he was relieved of, relieved of the burden? Because he finished. Y'all, we got some work to do. And, and you don't, it, it's not finished until Jesus come back. The work is not finished until Jesus come back. But the question remains, are you going to act upon your burden so that people can see the kingdom of God in your life? It amazes me that this wall is still up, that people can go and you can check it out. But here's, what, here's the thing, that the, the, the wall looks like a pavement now, like, like, like a road, because what they decided to do as, as things happen, that they built on it, Right? The wall that was once for protection and it was high, more things began to happen. More things became necessary. And so what they decided to do is we're just going to build on it. We're going to make a higher wall so we can be more protected, so more things can happen in the city. And here's the thing. When you gone, people are going to continue to build. And we're going to continue to build and higher and higher and even higher until the Lord comes back. But we have to make the decision to say yes to Jesus tonight. You're going to get an opportunity, all of you, when you came in, you got a serve card. There's a table here with balloons, and we'll be going here to eat pizza and glazed beignets, which can't wait to get into that. You're going to get an opportunity to turn those in. And, it's, and by turning it in, all you're saying is, yeah, I'll do it. I, I, have, I don't have any particulars. Whatever y'all need, we're just going to do it. Or maybe you do have some particulars. Maybe there's some specific things that you've got, some things that you're passionate about, some things that you're burdened about that you want to do. Write your card down. We're going to follow up with you. Because I don't want to be the pastor who didn't give you the opportunity to act on the burden that God put in front of you. I'm going to give you room because I won't be held responsible. You're going to get the opportunity, and you got to say yes to Jesus. And if we just say yes to Jesus together, if an army of young believers say yes to Jesus, why can't we win the city? Why can't the enemy tremble and be afraid of what God is accomplishing in our midst. Why not? Why? Are the excuses bigger than God? No. Is it far beyond God's reach? No. Well, we just got to say yes. We're not going to do an altar call tonight, but I want to do something different. I want to lead us into closing prayer, and then uh, Bree's going to come give us some announcements. Then we're going to go eat. You're going to turn in some of your volunteer cards. Here's what we're going to do. I just want you to reach to the person on the side of you, and I want you to put your hand on their shoulder. You might want to, I see friends wrapping your arms around each other. That's so cute. We such a family. Aw. Because I, wanna, I just want to war for a second in prayer. Because the person that you're holding is a fellow kingdom member. They also have a burden, or they're searching for a burden. And God wants to do something in their life just as much as they want, he wants to do something in your life. And I just want us to pray together. The Bible says, touch and agree, and things don't happen. And I just want to pray about that as we close. Father, you are faithful, you are good, and you have a plan. And God, you've written our names in the plan. And Father, tonight we just say yes to whatever you want us to do. 
We say yes to what you've called us to do. We say yes to the call of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we will not, we will no longer sit back and just watch our city be left in destruction and brokenness. Lord, we will stand up and be the believers that you called us to be. God, we will raise up like a strong army and we'll say yes to you so that your kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, every, for every person under the sound of my voice, Father, I pray that you would give them a burden. Father, I pray that you would reveal to them the gifts and the passions that you set for them in this season of their life, Father, so that people will know you. Father, that lost people will come to be saved. Father, that people will come and commit their life to you in baptism, Father, and that we may see your goodness in the land of the living. Lord, that healing will take place. Lord, that lost people will be saved. Lord, that the people who are lost will find freedom in you, Lord, that deliverance and breakthrough will begin to happen in our city because a group of young adults decided that they were going to say yes to you, Jesus. We say yes, Lord, and I pray that by your spirit, you give us the power and the desire to do the things that please you. Lord, that in one hand we will leave with, with the Bible. In the other hand, Lord, we will leave with the hammer. Father, we are willing to, 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 to fight and we're willing to work for you, Lord. We are willing to war in the spirit, so Lord, that, that the winds in the supernatural, God, will make his way in the natural. Because we believe that we know how to fight, we know where to fight, Lord, and, and no weapon that forms against this group will prosper in the name of Jesus. And the goals that you set before us, we will fulfill in Jesus' name. That men will come in here and be saved because of what you seek to accomplish on the earth. Father, keep us together as a group. Help us to expand your kingdom. That more people will come in and serve your kingdom and love you, Father. That life change will happen, Father. And you will do far above and beyond all that we could ask or think. Father, have your way in our ministry. Father, we don't want to be another church. We want to be a church that makes a difference. God, if, if revival is going to happen in our city, Father, we want it to start with us. God, if you're looking on the earth and you want to do something, God, don't pass us by. We say yes. We say yes to your will and we say yes to your call. So that lives will actually begin to change and lost people will maybe be found because you decided that you were going to use us. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for who you are. We're thankful for your presence. And we say yes to you in the mighty loving name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. You can keep up with us by following our Instagram by searching at the block NOLA. Again, thanks for listening to the block podcast.